Let's pray. Father, thank you for preserving your word all these years. And as we, Lord, sit at your feet today, we ask that as we open this word, you would open our hearts, Lord, to receive your message, your love, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I am so thankful that you're here today because we have quite a challenging text to look at. We're continuing the sermon series on generosity, being rich toward God, being rich toward others, and how we use the goods that God has given us. And today, this is quite a doozy, this text. So if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, the first 15 verses. If you want to follow along on the outline and you're at home or you're joining us from afar, basically uh, download the U version, Y-O-U, U version app. And on there, click that you are at the St. John event and the whole sermon with the uh, fill in the blanks will be there for you. So We're looking at a challenging text today, and I got to tell you how I ended up with this one out of the three pastors here. A few months ago, we were sitting down praying about designing how this is going to go, and uh, Pastor John and Jet were there, and I said, man, I said, I've I've taught this about seven years ago for a Bible class, and I think I might have preached it once, this text. I said, but I do not want to touch that one again. And a couple days later, I'm sure moved by the Holy Spirit, as Pastor John puts the schedule together, I looked on the schedule, I thought, I'm preaching this one. You gotta be kidding me. So I thought, well, God has some good things in store and I've I've wrestled with, love this text. And today, what I'm hoping for you is that as you hear this, you will see God's heart for you and how he desires for you to use the goods that he gives you to love him, love others, and to really change eternity. There's some really good things in this text, but it's important that when we look at the Bible, and this is great Reformation stuff, you know, we wanna see the truth right here. When we look at the Bible, that we look at the, all of God's word in its context and also compare it to other parts of God's word. So that when when God says something like, does dishonesty pay? You're like, is that what God is saying here in this text? You would look at other parts of scripture and say, well, I don't know that I read that in other parts of scripture. You know, there are a lot of hard texts in the Bible to understand. What are a few of them that might come to mind for you? Some hard texts that you're like, "Does, does the Bible really say that? Maybe you're thinking about Genesis 22. You go into Old Testament and you're like, this is where God told Abraham to take his one and only son and go sacrifice him to kill him up on a mountain. You're like, what is that about? But unless you know the background, the sacrificial system, why God is saying that to whom and and what's going on, it's hard to understand that text. And so that's for another time. Or maybe you're like the guy that came to me a few years ago and said, I'm looking in the Old Testament that all these people that are supposed to be godly, these guys have multiple wives and concubines. Why don't we still do that today? I'm like, oh, we need to talk about your marriage. Don't let your wife hear that question. Or maybe you're like a romantic fool and you're, you're maybe in your young days of dating somebody and you're like, I want to be a biblical guy. Or I want to go to the Bible and find out what are those romantic, poetic things from Song of Solomon. And this should be an easy text for me. And you start reading it to your, to your, your loved one and you start in chapter four of Song of Solomon, the first two verses, and it goes, behold, you are beautiful, my love. That's okay. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. That's okay. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slope of Gilead. Your teeth are like flocks of shaved ooze or lambs that have come from the washing and they all bear twins. And 
Your cheeks are like pomegranates. You're like, this is terrible. But it's context, right? When you're reading it, by whom, to whom, in that culture. The same thing goes with our text today. This text probably made a lot more sense to its original hearers, the disciples. They were getting what Jesus said here, and they're like, okay, that makes sense. But you know what? We're here. We're 2,000 years later. We want to get in on this too, Jesus. We want to understand this text. So instead of pushing it away, I boldly said, I'm going to take this, right? No, instead of pushing it away, we're going to wrestle with this text today. And see, what is the Holy Spirit doing in your heart and mind? How is is God moving you in your life as we go through this text? So one question to kind of look at as you heard Steve read that, uh, you you hear the the idea of the dishonesty part, that the the manager commended uh, the dishonest, or the, the master commended the dishonest manager. You're like, what's going on there? And you might have the question, even if you're helping, quote unquote, others, and or yourself, does dishonesty ever pay? Could you take this text just in general before we go through it and say, man, um, this guy was commended, I think, for being dishonest, so could I kind of do that sometimes and help other people? Maybe you've done this. You look at uh, supplies that somebody has, your boss, your work, you're just like, I can take some of this from work and give it to a family that's need because no one's gonna miss it. This is a huge corporation. That's dishonesty. Well, I can only tell someone, like we talked about earlier, part of the truth, this and that, just so they'll, they'll, they'll look highly on the situation or me. That's dishonesty, right? So can we go to scripture and have we and find places in scripture that we would manipulate and take part of it on the surface and say, yeah, God's telling me to do that. So the Bible says right there, that's the dilemma we find ourselves in. And then what happens is we end up looking like this, right? Our nose gets bigger and bigger, because here's the problem. The truth always comes out. (laughs) So if you've bought in the idea that I can be a little dishonest, I can fudge the numbers here, the truth will always come out. And especially in a social media age, I tell all generations, whether you're young, medium, old, whatever you think you are, what you put on there is there forever. People will see it, and the truth will come out. So we want to say, you know, God, guide me from your scripture on how to be an honest, truthful, good person, especially when it comes to using the goods, the stuff, the finances you've given me. So we're gonna look at the truth today about finances, Jesus's heart, and God's economy. About finances, Jesus's heart, and God's economy. We will not exhaust this text. This is the last two services. People come out, they're like, wow, I even have more questions. So, so just buckle in, strap in. We're gonna, here we go, down, down the chute. So let me just uh, tell you what a parable is. If you haven't heard this before, this is a parable. And a parable is an earthly story with a, with a heavenly meaning. So sometimes you will get a story that Jesus, and he taught many times in parables. He'll give you a story that you can understand. It has something to do with something that happens on earth. And it tells you about the kingdom of God, heaven, or about Jesus himself or God the Father. You learn more about God from the story. And this one is no difference. Now, remember, I told you that context is king. Very important. If you look in the chapter before, That chapter has three parables in it. It's the parable of the lost sheep. It's Jesus teaching the parable of the lost coin. 
And it's Jesus teaching the parable of the lost son, or some call it the prodigal son. What we learn about God's heart, his economy, you name it, in that chapter is that God always runs after the people. He, he loves people. He runs after him. He does not give up on him. He draws them in. And so Jesus continues that thought and that conversation in this chapter. This parable, we believe, was being spoken to just his disciples. The chapter before, he was talking to everybody. Then he kind of gets in a small group to his small group of followers, and he tells them this parable. At the end of it, you'll notice the Pharisees come in. They're probably like leaning, trying to listen anyway around. And then he turns and he speaks to them. So let's begin here with verse two. So he, and that's the, the master, called him, the, the manager, called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. What's going on here? There's a master and in this parable, the master is equal to God, the father, or Jesus, you know, God all over. He's there. Okay, so there's the master who owns everything, created everything. It's all his. And there's a manager, and that will be us. Someone who is entrusted with God's stuff to use for, for good. And what will we do with it? Right? So the master comes in and tells the manager, hey, I have word, I've been told that you are not doing what you're supposed to with my stuff. In fact, it's going so poorly, I'm going to fire you. You're going to lose your job. And so if you remember the text we just read, what is the response of the manager? That would be us. So he decides, oh, I got to figure this out. He's like, I'm, I, I, my hands are too nice. I'm not strong enough to dig, right? And I'm too proud to beg, so I'm going to go to all of the customers that I know of in this area, and I'm going to fudge the numbers. I'm going to be dishonest. I'm going to tell them, hey, man, if you owe that guy 1000 you write 800 on there, right? Just keep them. And, and so he does it. And what happens? The master comes back to the manager, and he says, I've heard something happening. And look what he says. We will be called to give an account of our stewardship. We will be called to give an account of our stewardship. Along the way, the master will come to us and say, hey, what are you doing with what, what I've given you? Are you being generous? Are you being rich? Are you squandering it? What are you doing with it? And so when he comes back a second time, this is what he says, the master, and this is, this is one of the hard verses, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Really? Is that what you want to say, Jesus? And Jesus says, yep, that's what I want to say. He commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Notice what this says and what it does not say. Look closely there. Jesus does not approve of his dishonesty, but he commends him for his shrewdness. Did you catch that? The dishonesty is just a description of this guy. He, he commended the dishonest manager for what? Not being dishonest, but for his shrewdness. And what exactly is this shrewdness that the Bible talks about? It's basically the reality of being wise and frugal and fruitful with what God has put in your hands. 
being shrewd, right? So we learn a lot just from this verse about the master and about us. Now remember, is this Bible written about you or about Jesus? The confirmation answer 80% of the time is Jesus. That's right. This, this book is all about Jesus and it points to Jesus. The Old Testament points to the cross. New Testament points back to the cross. This is not about you, although it has some things for you to learn about yourself. Predominantly, this book is about Jesus. So when we look at this parable, it's important for us to first and foremost say, what is this parable telling us about our master? About God. And then we fit in down here. And here's what it says, this next fill in the blank part. This says, it, it's telling us that we have a master that is overflowing with grace and integrity. How do we know that? Remember I told you about knowing the culture at the time? If you know what happened in the culture at that time, if somebody was cooking the books on their owner, the business, the master, that owner had a right not to just fire this person. Usually they had a right to put him in prison or better yet, they could have him killed. And look what this master does. Jesus, Jesus knows they know this. And he says, hey, you know what this master does? He just fired him. <laughs> That's it. He just fired him. He was actually showing grace to this guy. Like I'm not going to give up on you. In fact, I'm going to fire you, but I'm going to, I'm going to, apparently he let him work a little bit longer. And, and this guy actually had time to, to do some things further. Not like, the, you know, some of you, uh, you work at places where they're going to fire you. They're going to plan it all, all of a sudden. And you come in at eight o'clock and they're like, uh, they have all these like guards around you, clean out your desk, give us your computer, here's your phone, you know, and they tape your mouth shut and you will see you. Now this guy, he had grace. He had grace on this guy. And then look at, he also had integrity because he was the master and he was dealing properly how he chose with his manager. And look what this guy actually did. You want to talk about being shrewd. In a shrewd way, you take the dishonesty and put it aside. And I just want to touch upon that for a second. I would imagine that if this parable went on further, and you probably experienced this in your life, that when you're ready, Jesus is going to deal with that sin that needs to be moved out. But there's a lot of things going on right now. And I imagine that later on, Jesus would have been like, hey, this dishonesty thing, we need to talk about this too. <laughs> yeah, he's done that with you, right? If you've had something, he's like, I'm not going to hit it all at one time and just crush you, but I'm going to talk about one thing at a time. Maybe dishonesty is a little later. What he did was he commended him for his shrewdness because in the end, if you were one of these customers, think of how you feel now about these two guys. You'd be like, wow, I love this sales guy. Why is he being fired? And I, and I love the owner because you may not know the background story, but you're like, this guy's giving me a discount. Even if we, did, we agreed on a thousand gallons of oil and now it's 800 or 450. This is great. His shrewdness actually put a good light on himself and the master. It's crazy stuff. And look what the master says. He continues on. He says in the second part of verse eight, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Huh. Hmm. The people of this world are more shrewd than the people of the light. What's he mean by that? You know what he means. 
Think about, think about it. What if you pursued the kingdom of God with the same passion and fervor as the world does for profit and pleasure? What if you pursued God's kingdom in such a way with your stuff as the world does as they pursue profit and pleasure? A very easy example. Think about how many people are like, man, I gotta find the next Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. If I get that stock on the ground level, if I can get part of a SPAC, and if you don't know what that is, check it out. If I can get part of this in my investment, and they spend hours and hours of their life, and this is their passion, they're shrewd on saying, I wanna invest this wisely. And the master and Jesus says, what if we had just a portion of that? in the way that, that it kept us up at night on how can, I, how can I do with my goods for God's kingdom? How can I be so shrewd and frugal and wise and figure out what's the best way to use the stuff God's given me for God's kingdom? Because listen to what he says now about the stuff, our goods. He gets even deeper here. Um, I tell you, And this is another verse. You're like, this verse is really here? Here we go. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal blessings or or eternal dwellings. Really? This, This like just goes against the grain of like three main teachings that I know in the Bible on the surface. Like listen to this. Use your money to buy friends, gain friends. Maybe no. Uh, So that when it's gone, you're going to be welcomed into heaven. Like, I thought I'd totally get into heaven by grace, through faith. It's faith in Jesus. I don't buy my way into heaven. I don't buy indulgences for the forgiveness of sins. I'm not supposed to buy off people or buy off friends. What is Jesus saying here? I'm done. Now, listen to what he's, there's there's a few words that kind of indicate here that give give us a clue. That little, little word called when, not if, but I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when your stuff is gone, this is all stuff. It's been about 2,000 years since this was said. Do you think those gallons of oil or that wheat is, is there anymore? No. But who is still around the people that heard this? Hopefully they're in heaven. You see what the master is getting at right here? Your stuff will come and go. And the main part of this verse is you're not going to buy friends, but you can use your stuff that is so fleeting to say, how can I use this in such a way to bless those around me create friendships? Yeah, we're going to have some meals together. We're going to have a good time. Maybe a small group party at my house. How can I use my stuff? So that when I get to heaven, only through Jesus, because you got to use other contexts too in the other part of the Bible, when I get to heaven only through Jesus, that I will have eternal dwellings, hopefully with those people that didn't know Jesus before I use my stuff. Here's an example. You got 5,000. First of all, I'm like, think of how fleeting, first of all, money and stuff is. Solomon supposedly had $25 billion of gold. Like, where'd all that go? I I think like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos must have it now. But like, you know, it comes and goes. 
It, you know, kingdoms come and go, stuff comes and goes. But if you actually had $5,000 and you said, what do I want to do with this 5,000? I'm just picking a number out. It would not be wrong in a worldly way and in a planning way to say, I am going to invest this and I'm going to do a seven year horizon period on Vanguard growth index funds and follow what Dave Ramsey says to do. And then this is going to be like the, the, the rule of 72. It's going to be doubled in seven years. Who knows? You get it. Or and that's, a, that's an okay thing. Or you can be shrewd in a godly way and take that $5,000 and say, Lord, for the next five years, I'm going to use this on this family that I know that, that they don't have as much as I do and they don't know Jesus, but I'm going to use this to, to, to have some time to take them out to eat. I'm going to use this to, to bless them maybe at Christmas time. I'm going to use this in such a way that I will build friendships with them with this stuff you've given me and that hopefully when I get to heaven, I will see them in that dwelling as well. Jesus might be onto something. He just might be onto something. What if you used your present resources to plan for eternity? That's what that means. We continue on. There's a word when Jesus talks about money uh, that is in the Greek. It's Aramaic uh, meaning, but it's called mammon. And from the Aramaic, which is another different language, it means this, that in which you put your trust in, that in which you trust. So listen to when Jesus talks about money here, that which you trust. Listen to what he's saying now that the Pharisees are getting involved. Verses 10 through 11 says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little can also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth or mammon, who will trust you with true riches? Basically, what do you trust in? Are you a good steward with what God has given you? I've heard it said that money is a great tool, but a terrible God. Think about that. Wealth is a great tool, but a terrible God. If you are faithful with little, you'll be faithful and trusted with much. Luke 16, verses 13 through 14, he continues and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will, you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and not the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon or money. And the Pharisees who heard this because they loved money, they sneered at Jesus. He knew what he was doing. He was saying, don't be like them. Don't be so sold out to that, but be sold out to me and use what I give you, not in dishonest ways, but in shrewd ways to make eternal differences. That's true generosity. That's being rich towards God and others. So here's the two final questions from Jesus on that text. Which will you serve? And this might be like a daily or an hourly question for you. You might be so engulfed in the riches of this world and, and it's easy for us, man, in America. I mean, what are we so, so distraught about right now? Our stuff is on ships and we might not have it for Christmas. <laughs> you know, I feel bad for as the people trying to make a living like, a, and they're trying to sell Christmas trees and they're not gonna get here until February. It's terrible. Anyway, um, but think about that. That says a lot to us. Our main dialogue is that it's not going to get here for Christmas. 
but Jesus is here for Christmas. So who am I going to serve? And then that leads me to this. Whom will you worship? Will I worship God or mammon? And again, that's a daily struggle, an hourly struggle. Like, you know what? I'm so pulled in this way, but how to do this? Thanks be to God that Jesus, Jesus did not worship money at all, but he worshiped basically the truth. And he wanted to share the truth with us. He went to the cross to share that with us. And if you're here today and you're caught up in dishonesty or you've been wasting God's resources, you name it, this is a new start. Remember, this master did not throw him in jail. He said, okay, I'm gonna commend you for your shrewdness. I have done something on the cross that has given you a renewal, a restart. I have forgiven you and now I encourage you to come see my heart. See the way I use this stuff and see God's economy. Amen.